Welcome, welcome, boys and ghouls, to another episode of Buddy's House of Horror podcast. I'm doing something today that I hope is a great release for me. I hope that it, not release as in views, but release as in emotions. Because as you guys know, on the last episode of the show, I was a big downer. I was tearing a film apart. I didn't even think it was that bad of a rant, but I just felt unclean. I felt dirty about last episode because I don't really like spreading negativity anymore. Um, I have to do it sometimes, and I'm going to do it with future episodes of the show as well, but there's just something about my emotional state recently where I just don't want to be negative. I don't want to rip apart films. I don't want to say things suck. I want to enjoy film. That's why I'm here. That's why you're here, to enjoy film. And that's why today, on this marvelous episode, we're going to be doing something that I've been wanting to do for a while. Um, It's something I could have saved until the end of the year, Um, but I want to talk about my top 10 horror films of the year so far. Um, The top 10 new release films that came out this year, 2023, that I really enjoyed because I've been able to see a lot of new releases this year, more than I usually do. So I do actually have a top 10. Like, it's hard sometimes to even get 10 films that you see in a year. But I have way more than 10, um, especially when you factor in non-horror films into my top 10 of the year. Maybe at the end of the year, I'll do a true top 10 with my top 10 all-time films of the year, not necessarily excluded to the niche horror genre. Today, we're just going to be focusing on horror. It's October. You guys want to hear the spooky shit. The leaves are falling. I've got, it's real hot girl shit in here today, because the hotter the girl, the more drinks she has. I got four drinks on this table right now. Well, it's about to be three because one of them is about to be finished very, very soon um, because it is a hot beverage. So I want to make sure that that is gone and out of the way. Um, But I've got a hot herbal tea mainly because my throat hurts um, because I've been talking all day the past couple days. So my, my voice is a little bit hoarse. So I wanted to get some hot tea in there. I'll take a swig for the working man. Wanted to have some hot tea just to kind of cleanse the throat, Um, but I also have two cans of soda because I couldn't decide which one that I wanted. I've got a nice, crisp blue can of Pepsi in honor of my girl Lana Del Rey, if you know, you know. And I also have a Dr. Pepper cream soda. Couldn't decide which one I wanted, so you know what? I was like, screw it. I'm an adult. I am a man of the house. I can... Have as many cans of soda as I would like. So I have two cans. I got a Pepsi, Dr. Pepper, cream soda, and of course, for normal hydration, so I don't die of sugar, I have just some water, just normal water. So hot girl shit, you got four drinks. One of them actually is a hot drink. One of those I'm going to be finishing very, very soon. The rest will be for general sipping throughout this episode and throughout the rest of my day. Um, it's a great day today. I'm very happy today. Um, I went and got another apple crisp macchiato with oat milk from Starbucks earlier this morning. I went to my local Barnes and Noble to look for my holy grail. I've been trying to find the new 
Metal Hammer magazine of the month that has Ghost on the cover. Can't find it anywhere. I've called so many bookstores in my area. No one fucking has this thing. And it's hard because, like, some stores, they're like, oh, we got it on our truck last week, maybe. Um, but we're not going to find out everything we got until it's done being pushed on Tuesday. And I'm just like, bro, it takes so long for some of these stores to push trucks. Um, I'm not going to get into that. That's a whole nother tangent as someone who has worked retail. Um, it's just mind-blowing to me that not working at, like, a huge store how long it takes to get through, like, a shipment and stuff like that. It, it just blows my mind. It's not nothing against the store or the people that work there. Just kind of the system is kind of insane to me. It just I, it just doesn't, just doesn't fit well in my brain because I just don't understand some things. But either way, we're going to be talking about 10 films that I liked this year. 10 films that made me feel good in one way or the other. Um, of course, I've been ranking every film on my Letterboxd. Um, throughout the year, putting it into a list so I can kind of keep track. So then at the end of the year, when I do do a theoretical list, I don't really have to go and rank things. I've already kind of got things ranked in my brain. So far this year, I've seen 25 new releases, which even later this week, there's going to be more because I plan on seeing Killers of the Flower Moon soon. Um, I want to see Monsters of California, the new film by Tom DeLonge. Lots of stuff coming out or has been coming out this year that I wanted to see. Um, and of course, well, the majority of the films in my top 10 are horror films already. Um, so it's not necessarily, I don't know if the list at the end of the year, unless there are a few big heavy hitters that come out, I don't see that my top 10 is going to change that, that much. Um, but some of the films in my top 10 are not horror films. So we are going to be skipping over those. So really this is kind of my soft top 12 films of the year but i'll be excluding two of them so those two will remain a mystery of what they were you might just have to wait until late january um i mean late december or early january to figure out what the two mystery films in my top 10 so far are and maybe so i don't see a couple of the ones at the very top of this list dropping out of the top 10 but maybe some of these ones at the bottoms, you know, you're 10 through 7. Who knows what's coming out this year? Some of these might get bumped. So I'm just going to talk about them now while they still are in my top 10 and while I can still be positive about them. And this ranking isn't necessarily reflective of my star ratings on Letterboxd. Because, of course, my star rating is kind of just like a first impression. Um, if it's a first-time watch, I rate it after I watched it. It's not something until I do a rewatch I'm necessarily going to rate again. So a lot of the star ratings and the placement on these lists aren't going to necessarily match up. Like, for example, this film is not on the list. But a film I saw earlier this year, 65, I gave three stars. I have it, like, on my ranking of the year below stuff that I've ranked. Two stars or two and a half stars. Um, just because it's an, an initial watch. But when you really go and reflect, it's like, oh, maybe I didn't like that as much as this. Or even though I gave it three stars because it's a competently made film, I didn't necessarily enjoy it as much as other films. So, like, you look at my list and you see 65, which is technically a good made film, is under a film like Slother House. Um, just because I enjoyed slother house more somehow slother house is not in my top 10 but i enjoyed it more than a few films this year so the top 10 i actually feel like kind of okay with my top 10 at this point um of course like i said these ones at the bottom they might get bumped but so far these are my top 
10 horror films of 2023. And it's going to be coming at you right after this word from our illustrious sponsor, Slapjacks. I shouldn't even have to say who it is. You know who it is. It's motherfucking Slapjacks! Are you tired of plain old breakfast? Sure is not sugary enough? Are you tired of burnt pancakes and waffles? Then you need Slapjacks! To slap against your face and cause a chemical reaction to heat off! No cooking required, just slap and eat! Don't believe us? Here's a satisfied customer! Slapjacks are the best breakfast food ever made! Slapjacks, slap those smiles back! <laughs> You heard of your kids. Slapjack saves lives. Order at www.slapjacks.com. You know, maybe someday I need to explain the Slapjacks situation, but today is not that day. Um, the main reason I needed that commercial break is because I wanted to get rid of the cup of the hot tea because I have since completed it. So I wanted to take the last sip, wanted to get rid of it, kind of clear up some desk space for the House of Horror desk. Hopefully Binker Me Dinker does not jump onto the desk. I would not like Binker Me Dinker to jump on the desk. That would be very strange. Very weird. Um, been having a great fall. But we're going to get right into the list. I love talking about fall. Went to a pumpkin patch the other day. Um, once again, I apologize for my voice. It is a bit hoarse. Um, just because I've been talking so much the past few days. I've been singing a lot the past couple days. I've been trying to get into the band Sleep Token. And... I like some of their songs. I've just been trying to really get into them in the way that I really vibe and jam to stuff is by singing along to it. So that's what I've been trying to do. I've been singing today, uh, not just to Sleep Token, but to some other stuff as well. So apologies if my voice does not sound as clear and crisp as normal, but it is what it is. We need to talk about some films. I hear Binker meowing in the background. Hopefully he is not as big of a disturbance as he has been in past episodes. We're going to start things off with number 10. Number 10 on my list. Um, it's partially horror, part thriller. It is the latest from M. Night Shyamalan Ding Dong, Knock at the Cabin. I have a mixed history with M. Night Shyamalan. Um, of course, everyone loves fucking... Signs and not signs. What's the what's the good one? What is the good one called? The Sixth Sense. Everyone loves the Sixth Sense. There are very few other films of his that I really enjoy. His comeback in the past few years has been very hit or miss. I liked The Visit. Um, I haven't seen Old. Um, and Knock at the Cabin, I think, is a pretty decent film. Um, of course, it's number ten out of ten. So, like, I guarantee. Within a few months, it's going to be out of my top 10 horror films of the year. Technically, not even in my top 10 films of the year. This is technically number 12 of the year. But like I said, there are a couple ones in there that are not horror. So when you're talking just horror, this is number 10 out of 10 for me. Save your family or save humanity. Make the choice. When vacationing at a remote cabin, a young girl and her parents are taken hostage by four armed strangers who demand that the family make an, unthink an unthinkable choice to avert the apocalypse. With limited access to the outside world, the family must decide what they believe before all is lost. I thought this film was completely decent. I thought it was a totally serviceable horror thriller, some decent twists, excellent writing, excellent direction. 
The entire thing takes place in and around this cabin. Of course, they had to film some other things as well because there's news broadcasts as part of it. Watching the apocalypse kind of go down. I like the story. I like the concept. I like the characters and the character dynamic. I like the relationships between the characters, um, kind of how the tensions between them and then the family. I love the family dynamic as well. But I just feel like it should have been and could have been so much better than it was. For what it is, it was very decent. Um, it was very good. Like, I enjoyed watching it. I would watch it again. But there's just something about it that kind of feels like something was missing like all the stars weren't aligning properly to make this a really really great film it turns out to just be a serviceable film everyone loves batista's perform performance in this film i wasn't the hugest fan of it honestly um i just hard for he's one of those actors where it's hard for me to see him playing a role and not just see batista <laughs> Um, but I mean, he does a good job. I mean, it's nothing that's like a bad performance. It just, there's something about seeing him on screen, except for when he's Drax, when he's Drax, it's like, okay, like that's different, but there's just something about him that I just like, can't fully not envision the person behind the role. It's hard to just see the character. I, I just see, oh, Batista standing there. He's a huge fucking dude. He looks kind of ridiculous in this suit that he's wearing. Because big buff dudes, when they wear dress-up clothes, it always just looks funny. Um, but regardless, he does a decent job. There's not as much to say about Knock at the Cabin. Um, because like I said, it's not even technically in my top 10 of the year. It's number 12. Coming in at number 9, we are going to go with Saw X. A film that I've already talked about quite a bit, so I'll keep things kind of short, kind of sweet, kind of brief about Saw X. Of course, this is from 2023. I will read the description. Witness the return of Jigsaw. Between the events of Saw and Saw 2, a sick and desperate John Kramer travels to Mexico for a risky and experimental medical procedure in hopes of a miracle cure for his cancer only to discover the entire operation is a scam to defraud the most vulnerable. Armed with a newfound purpose, the infamous serial killer returns to his work, turning the tables on the con artist in his signature visceral way through devious, deranged, and ingenious traps. I've talked about this film in depth in a couple other shows on the podcast. Of course, the first episode of the House of Horror this season was my review of Saw X, and it was also part of my Saw X rankings. So there's not really too much for me to add that I haven't talked about already in other shows. Since, since you've seen those shows, I guess we can talk about the ending. If you haven't seen the film already, go and check it out. I do think it is worth a watch. Um, we never really find out if the... The main evil um, girl makes it out alive. So it does kind of leave it open for more sequels, which is something we didn't really talk about in other episodes. Because um, I do think they're probably going to do some more of these. Um, maybe some events with Hoffman. Maybe seeing... Because we don't really see him die at the end of 7 either. So maybe we can get an actual direct sequel to Saw 7. Um, I'm not sure what they're going to do, but it definitely leaves it open-ended to some more stuff coming on down the way. So, I'm excited for it. I mean, I don't know if it's going to be anything groundbreaking or whatever, but I love me some Hoffman. So, hopefully they do do something with that. Um, I don't know. We'll see what the future holds for Saw 11 
And I wonder how many they can make, because it's very rare that a horror series gets 10 sequels these days. So I just wonder how many of these they're actually going to make. Coming up is a horror comedy, which again, I've talked about it a little bit in another episode. Of course, we are talking about Megan, a film that maybe tried too hard to be bad and turned out actually being halfway decent. Friendship has evolved. A brilliant toy company roboticist uses artificial intelligence to develop Megan, a lifelike doll programmed to emotionally bond with her newly orphaned niece. But when the doll's programming works too well, she becomes overprotective of, of her new friend with terrifying results. One thing I didn't really talk about is like, for those of you that have been long listeners of this show of mine and other shows that I've done, you know that I wasn't a fan of the reboot of Child's Play because I didn't necessarily like that the doll was just evil. It was just bad AI. This one does the Child's Play story better in my mind than the remake of Child's Play. I haven't seen the remake of Child's Play in a long time, but I remember it coming off just there's something about it that just like didn't gel with me the way Megan did. And maybe it was the humor, maybe it was just kind of the timing of it, maybe it's because it's not a part of a big franchise, not that Child's Play is one of the franchises that I hold the closest and dear to me within my soul, but it is, it is a franchise that, you know, I'm relatively familiar with. I've seen all the films, like, it's something I do sort of hold to a standard, especially when I liked, you know, the two sequels that they made of Child's Play better than the reboot or remake or whatever you want to call it. Um, I like Call of Chucky and Curse of Chucky. I haven't seen the television show yet. I probably, one day I'm going to have to fucking sit down, hunker down and watch this fucking Child's Play show. Um, we're not even talking about Megan at this point. I've talked about Megan before in my um, reviewing of every film that I watched in 2023. I don't have as much to add to it. You're probably going to see a lot of... Um, children dressed up as Megan for Halloween this year um, because it's the same thing as Chucky. Like, a lot of kids dress up as Chucky because it's like, oh, they're small. Megan was small. So I anticipate a lot of Megan costumes for years to come. I know they are making the Megan 2.0 film, and we'll see where they go with it. I don't see it being, like, a huge franchise, but they can probably get, like, a trilogy out of it, I guess. And coming up for number... What are we on? That was 10, 9, 8, number 7. Lucky number 7 about an unlucky animal, I guess, an unlucky thing. I mean, spiders. Spiders are a little scary. Not, the, not necessarily this film is about a spider, but the film is called Cobweb. It's a film, I don't know if it made it to theaters or if it was just straight to streaming. I first found it on streaming. Um, it's something that I... When I saw the trailers for it, when I saw the poster for it, I was instantly kind of captivated. I was like, I wonder if this film can really hold up. Because like I said, it had a good trailer. It had a good poster. It was something I was very excited to see. I had seen it, you know, leading up to the release of it. I had seen people talking about it online. I'm sure it had like a festival circuit or something like that. But Cobweb, I would say it's from 2023, but obviously all of these films are from 2023. I liked it quite a bit. Like, I gave this film, like, three and a half stars. Like, we're finally getting into the films, and I'm like, okay, this is a good, great film. Like, we're getting above, like, the two and a half, the three stars. We're in three and a half star territory on Letterboxd. Um, half, of my, half of my people on Letterboxd are split. 
it's weird. Everyone I know in real life gave the film three stars. Everyone I don't know in real life gave it three and a half and above. So I perhaps could be in the minority of Cobweb. But for me, I thought it was pretty damn good. I thought, you know, it was very predictable at times. There were things that, you know, you could kind of see it coming, but that didn't necessarily make it bad. Um, We'll get to it in a second. I'll talk about, like, the plot a little bit. I'll read the synopsis. Sooner or later, family secrets creep out. Eight-year-old Peter is plagued by a mysterious, constant tapping from inside his bedroom wall, one that his parents insist is all his imagination. As Peter's fear intensifies, he believes that his parents could be hiding a terrible, dangerous secret. Wow, that was a strange stutter. Secret and questions their trust. There's, um, it reminds me of films like The Babadook and stuff like that where the film solely centers like around a family. There's not many locations. There's not many cast members in it. It's solely a family story. Of course, this does involve like a teacher in a school and stuff like that. But the story itself, the setting itself is very small and intimate. So it does remind me of films like the Babadook. Um, I really enjoyed the film. Like I said, I gave it three and a half stars. Whether people agree with me or not is up for debate. Like I said, like one of the main things about it that is a detriment is its predictability. Like going into mild spoilers, it's not going to ruin the plot or ruin what the creature, if it exists, may or may not be. But there's a scene early on in the film where the boy and his father are going to get rat poison because they have, you know, an infestation. And they mention the smell and they mention the smell of the rat poison. And then later on, someone may or may not get poisoned with rat poison. Like, you know, as soon as they do that scene, you're like, okay, that rat poison's coming back. And of course it does. So yes, there are a few predictable moments in the film, but overall, I thought it was very good. Had some very creepy moments. I love the fact that there's like a creepy basement in the film. There's like trap doors. You're seeing what is living in the walls of this house or what may not be living in the walls of this house. And... For me, like, once it gets going, it gets going. Like, I was completely captivated the whole film. Thought it was very good. I mean, it's nothing life-changing. It's nothing that, you know, if you're not a horror fan, you go see Cobweb and all of a sudden you're a massive horror fan. Like, it's nothing like that. It's just a very good, serviceable, fun horror film in 2023, which can be hard to find. Um, I thought it was a breath, not a fresh air, but I'd been watching a lot of stuff around that time I didn't really gel with too much. So it was a breath of fresh air for me to get something that was a little bit cliched, but just done very, very well. It was a lot of fun for me, and there's not as much to say about it. It is a new release, um, and I'm going to be talking about it again when I wrap up all the horror films I saw in 2023. So I'm not going to talk about it too much here. Same with all these films. i got to go on and on and on about them. Just going to kind of rank why I thought they were good talk about the things I liked about them, give them a rating, tell you what I did on Letterboxd, and move on with the rest of the list. So that's what we're going to be doing. So that was number that was number seven. Coming up to number six, so we're almost into the top five. We got one more to go before we hit that top five territory. And this film was probably, I don't want to say my most anticipated film of the year, but every single year, this happens every year, it's not always A24, but there's always a film that's coming out around summertime that promotes itself as like 
the scariest film you've ever seen or the scariest film of the year. You know the films I'm talking about. At least with Hereditary, it was true. I really, really enjoyed Talk to Me, but I did not think it was in the top five of the films I saw this year. It's number six. Really enjoyed Talk to Me. Not one of my favorite films of the year. Top six. But let's talk about it. You call, they'll answer. When a group of kids discover how to conjure spirits using an embalmed hand, they become hooked on the new thrill until one of them goes too far and unleashes terrifying supernatural forces. Talk to Me I thought was a great film. I don't think it was as groundbreaking as a lot of people were making it out to be, but I really enjoyed the film. I loved the concepts. I am very much looking forward to the sequel that they are planning on doing, Talk to Me. Um, it's got some great gore. It's got some genuinely shocking moments in it, um, especially when the kid is like wigging out and like slamming his head against the wall and the desk and shit like that. I really enjoyed the ideas coming out of this one. I just don't think it was scary enough. Like, I don't think... There was some creepy imagery. Like, there was some stuff that was a little shocking. But it wasn't that scary. Like, it was never... I can't... It's never... I gotta look away. This is too scary. You're, like, hiding behind your hands. Like, stuff like that. Like, there's nothing... Nothing in it was really as scary as films like Hereditary, Get Out, stuff like that. This resurgence of horror. It was nothing as scary as those... But it's just a really cool story, really good concept, really good performances. Um, and yeah, I'm just looking forward to where they take it next. I'm not exactly sure what they're going to be doing with the sequel to it, but I am looking forward to them doing it. Talk to me, the sequel to Talk to Me. Um, they've been they've been doing merch drops of it over on Graveyard Goods and Studio House Designs. They've been getting all in on the merch. You can even get like a hand and match set and stuff like that. So film's been going hard. Happy for their success. Um, excited to see the sequel when it comes out. Hopefully, it's in the next year or two. Very excited about that, but not as excited as I am to get into this top five. Starting off five strong, a film that. I'm not going to lie, I was a little bit disappointed in because I thought it was going to be number one or number two. But, still, in the top five, everyone knows I'm a huge Dracula fanatic. The Last Voyage of the Demeter. Which is a concept that, in the book, it's a small portion of the book. Only a couple pages long. In most film versions, it's a very short part of the film. Because, again, it's just a short portion of the book. But in recent years, not only with this film, which solely focuses on the section of the Dracula novel on the Demeter, but also in the 2020 version of Dracula, an entire episode devoted to Dracula's journey on the Demeter, which... I guess they probably use that as inspiration for this film because it's not—it's a unique take on the Dracula story because, as I said, they don't really focus on it too, too much in other versions of the novel. Um, this was directed by the same guy who did the autopsy of Jane Doe and Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, both films that I am a fan of. This is probably my favorite film that he has done. Um, it's a toss-up. I actually kind of liked Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. I know a lot of people didn't like it, um, but I thought it was pretty good. 
And this is the next um, form of literature that he adapted, um, but it was very vastly different. Um, similar to Scary Stories, how it kind of uses that as inspiration, this kind of uses that chapter of the Dracula novel as inspiration, um, not necessarily following the novel to a T. It's not similar to the book at all. Um, but still an interesting story regardless. The legend of Dracula is born. The crew of the merchant ship Demeter attempts to survive the ocean voyage from Carpathia to London as they are stalked each night by a merciless presence on board the ship. What did I like about the film? I liked the performances. I liked the way Dracula was presented in the film. It's very different from what we've seen recently. We always see the smooth and cunning Dracula. It's very rare, at least in vampires in general, that you're getting just the monster version of it. The pure evil, manifestation of evil version of Dracula in this film. And I enjoyed it quite a bit. I enjoyed all the performances in it. I it's a film that I wanted to do a full review of when it came out but I just didn't get around to it um I love the way Dracula looks I love the way the film feels I love the mood I love the atmosphere I love that it I love that it did create kind of its own story the story could have been more memorable um the only thing that I don't really care for in the film is it does have some questionable CGI um, at several portions of the film that's really the only thing I can knock it for like I was completely engrossed in the film when I saw it I was probably the only person in the theater that I think gelled with it because I saw it opening day there were it wasn't a packed house but there were maybe like you know half the seats in the theater were full I mean it was the seven o'clock showing the night it came out um that is a Thursday not on the Friday so technically the day before it came out it was still showing up half a theater and when the film was over there was no lingering. Like, whenever I'm done with the film, especially if I liked the film, I'm sitting in there still until the credits are over. Like, I can be on my phone, on my letterbox, like, whatever. As soon as this film, as soon as credits got started rolling, everyone got up and walked out of the theater, besides me. So I could tell that not a lot of people were maybe interested in the film as I was. Again, being a huge Dracula fan... I loved the film. I thought it was great. I don't know how many necessarily, how many times I need to rewatch it in my lifetime, but it was a good, solid watch. Um, I liked the performances in it. Of course, the main character in it was also in Straight Outta Compton, which was one of my favorite films of that year. I think he's a really great actor. Um, Corey Hawkins is his name, and I just the whole cast all the way around. I thought did a great job in this. Again, the only thing I don't like is the questionable CGI. Um, specifically with burning segments. Um, there's a lot of times people catch on fire in this. But everything else I thought looked very well. Um, great film. I love it. I what, have you, what did you guys think about it? If you guys have seen The Last Voyage of the Meter, what did you think about the film? We're getting into the top four. These are the heavy hitters. And the numbers four and three is a real toss-up for me on which one I liked more because they're both films that not only was I incredibly looking forward to, but again, just like this one with Dracula, they're films that I feel like a personal connection to, number three and number four. For number four, I am going to give the edge to my number three film, 
So number four, a film that I really loved. It's in my top four, obviously. Insidious, The Red Door. What could be the final film featuring Patrick Wilson's story arc. Um, This is the true sequel to part two. Part three, of course, being a prequel. The last key, of course, being a separate like side story-ish kind of film. This is the sequel to the original two films, um, which features the main ca- uh, the main family again. The um, what the fuck is their names? The Lamberts, featuring the Lamberts. Insidious: The Red Door, directed also by Patrick Wilson, a true Renaissance man. He directed the film. He starred in the film. And he sang the uh, the credits song. I don't know why I was about to say post-credit song. He sang the song in the credits with Ghost. A true fucking legend, Patrick Wilson. The GOAT. Face your demons. To put their demons to rest once and for all, Josh Lambert and a college-aged Dalton Lambert must go deeper into the further than ever before, facing their family's dark past and a host of new and more horrifying terrors that lurk behind the red door. This scene Um, this film has a lot of great moments in it. Some of my favorite, there's a scene where Adam Lambert, he's, did I just say Adam Lambert? Is that his name in the film? No, Josh Lambert. Adam Lambert is the singer. I was like, well, I don't know why my brain, Adam Lambert could be part of the Insidious family. We don't know. He could be a distant cousin. Insidious, the sixth Insidious film will star Adam Lambert as himself, hanging out with Josh and Dalton Lambert. Um, I couldn't believe that they were able to get the original uh, cast back, even the children who are now grown up. It could have been so easy to just recast them, um, but they were able to get everyone back, which was really cool. Um, my favorite scenes in the film are probably the scene where Josh is in the hospital getting like an MRI, like a brain scan thing, and he gets trapped in the machine. Um, genuinely good, scary, jump scare moments there. I love the mythology of the film. I love Dalton as an adult trying to make friends within this college atmosphere. The film isn't shit your pants scary, but it's not supposed to be. None of the Insidious films are really these balls-to-the-wall, fucking gory, insane films. From what I understand, like, from what I remember, most of them, if not all of them, were PG-13. Like, these are very good gateway horror films. These are horror films that you can watch at a younger age, not be too freaked out, and just be invested in the story of it. Of course, I love the original Insidious, one of my favorite um, films. After rewatching the whole franchise recently, I do think the first one is the best one. For, their, for years, I was on the Insidious 2 train. But after rewatching them, the first one is the best. Um, I love how trippy it is. Very similar to Carnival of Souls. And what did I like about the Red Door that I haven't already said? I love the art scene. I love I love the roommate. There's a big thing in this film where Dalton goes to college. He gets put in a room with a female roommate. And they're like, oh, we can't do this. Boys and girls can't live together. Like, whatever it is. I loved her character. I thought she was great comedic relief. Um, sort of a pseudo love interest. I don't know if it's like too explicit that they're going to be in a relationship or anything like that, but very funny, very great dynamic between the two of them. And I love the imagery of the film. There's not a whole lot to say. I want to rewatch it. It's been out for a while, so it's not as fresh in my memory, but insidious, the red door, 
an easy number four pick for top horror film of the year. Number three, I can admit that this might not be a horror film all the way through. I can admit that this might not be better technically than a lot of the films that have been on this list so far. But number three for me, we talked about how I'm a huge Dracula guy. Nick Cage's Dracula was great to see. Renfield is my number three on the list. Of course, directed by Chris McKay um, of Lego movie fame, Lego Batman movie, a true icon of his generation. He knows comedy. He knows fucking, um, he knows how to tell a captivating comedy, but still have horror elements in it. The only major critique I have of this film is they focus too heavily on the romantic aspect of it. I wish it gave you more of what you wanted to see, but regardless, sucks to be him. Having grown sick and tired of the centuries as Dracula's lackey, Renfield finds a new lease on life and maybe even redemption when he falls for the feisty, perennial angry traffic cop Rebecca Quincy. It's not the best description of the film. I love the references to the original, right? You have the opening scene where Renfield is going to see Dracula and you have Nicolas Cage in the cl classic Bela Lugosi outfit. I love seeing decrepit Nicolas Cage because he hasn't fed in a long time and then gradually becomes the Nicolas Cage that we know. I love the violence. I love the gore. It's funny. It's stupid. It's intentionally stupid. It's a lot of fun. I thought Renfield was a great time. A lot of people didn't agree. Like, I'm looking at my letterbox. I see a lot of one stars, a lot of two stars, stuff like that. People weren't really gelling with this Renfield film. I, I, can't, I couldn't get enough of it at the time. I want another one. But please just focus on what we want to see. I don't want to see the whole love story aspect to it. You can have that. You can have it be like a little subplot. But the focus needs to be Renfield versus Dracula. We need to have an all-out fucking war movie between Renfield and Dracula. You can make it funny. You can have stuff happen. But this one, it was a little bit unfocused. But when it got good, I really loved it. I loved every scene Nicolas Cage was in. He steals the show. It was just a great film. Nicholas Holt is great. Aquafina is great. Um, but there's just some elements to it that keep it from being a number one or number two film on my list. Do you think if it's Dracula, if a Dracula film comes out in the year and it's halfway decent, I'm probably going to like it. I'm probably going to rank it pretty high. So the number three seems pretty good. I mean, in hindsight, I understand the majority of the films, maybe on my films that I watched all year long, were probably better made films than Renfield. That doesn't mean I enjoyed them as much as I enjoyed Renfield. We're coming in on the front, the top two, the front runners, the two films of the year, not even horror, my top two films of the year. Both came out early on in the year, so it's kind of been a while since I've seen either one of them, but a film that for some reason I didn't do a show about when it came out is Scream 6, my second favorite Scream film out of the entire franchise. Um, besides the original, I think Scream 6 is pretty much as good a sequel as you can get for the Scream franchise. And we'll break it down. We're, let's read our classic letterbox description as we always do. It's actually a shorter description than a lot of the films. New York, new rules. 
Following the latest Ghostface killings, the four survivors leave Westboro behind and start a fresh chapter in New York City. A lot of people were skeptical about this movie when it came out because of that location change and because, you know, Nev Campbell was not coming back for the film. But in spite of all of that, none of that even really mattered because it was, I mean, like I said, this is my second favorite film in the franchise. I think the opening to it was totally something unique. It was one of the best intros to a Scream film since the first one. And I know I've talked about this when I reviewed every horror film in 2023. Um, so I'm going to be repeating myself a little bit here and there. So I'll keep this short and as brief and talk about as many different things as possible. I love the... I think that this took inspiration from Saw... Uh, not Saw 7. From Jigsaw. In Jigsaw, it was a big thing that the new Jigsaw killer, quote-unquote, has all of these props from former Jigsaw killings. In this film, we see replicas from the quote-unquote stab movies of stuff that's happened to the past um, people who have died in the Scream films. I thought that was a unique take. Again, they did that in Jigsaw. I think it works better within the context of Scream. Um, makes a lot more sense to me, I guess. I mean, either way, it's unrealistic because who has fucking so much fucking money that they're buying all this bullshit. But regardless, I love the... Like, I don't even think you really needed to change the setting of it too much. Well, I guess you did, kind of, to just to get... I don't know. You didn't necessarily... The, the setting change wasn't a necessity, but it was a nice change of pace. Just some nice new scenery. Nice new things you could do with it. I mean, there's only so much you can do in that town. Um, so just bringing it to a different location, I think, was a good idea. I like some of the... You know, there's some telepathic or things going on between the main girl and her her father, who, of course, was the killer from the first film. Um, won't give too many things away, unlike Scream 6, which gives away all of the killers in all the films. I will not be giving away the killers or the names or anything like that. Um, there's a thing where, like, you could say in this next film, Scream 7, she could take up her father's killing ways or something like that. Um, there's a lot of things in this film that I love. I want to rewatch it. Four-star film, easy four-star film. It's a film that I forget came out this year because it came out so long ago, much with my number one pick of film of the year. I've been waiting all year for something to dethrone this one as my favorite film of the year. Skinnamarink is still the best horror film that I have seen in 2023. Came out early January. I've told the story. We got our new cat, Binker Me Dinker, Skinnamarink Bink Me Dink, on this day. We were going to the theater. We found a fucking cat. Cat lives in my house now. He's sleeping on the other side of the room at this exact moment. He's normally crazy. I'm actually very thankful that he is sleeping right now. But... There's just nothing that came close to this film, in my mind, this year. It wasn't the best well-made. It, it doesn't have the most captivating story. But its uniqueness is what makes it my favorite this year. A lot of people think it's boring. A lot of people think it fucking sucks. I don't understand it. I th Well, I guess I do understand it. But I don't understand... There's some people that I know who I thought would have been like really, really into this. And even they thought it was boring. But... I loved the film. I thought it was great. 
I think it was an easy four star. A lot of people gave it half a star. They'll remain nameless, but you can look at my fucking letterbox, giving it half stars. But a lot of people seem to agree with me. Four stars, four and a half. There's some five star reviews from people that I have on letterbox that have seen this. Um, there's just something about it that's so nostalgic. It's so unique. It has to be seen to be believed. It's a film that you need to watch in the correct headspace. You can't just put it on and be talking or be on your phone. You need to be invested in it. It is the most unique film that I've seen this year. And really, like when you look at it on paper, it's not like not like that unique or anything groundbreaking. But it's just very well done. Very knew what it was. It was a very cheaply made film. It knew how to stretch that budget as far as it could. The film's atmosphere is unmatched. It is one of the only times, like, in a theater where I felt scared. It was probably one of the most unique movie-going experiences I've ever had in my entire life. And I will think about it for years to come and for the rest of my life. But for right now, it is my number one of the year. Of course, I talked about it when I reviewed every single film I saw in 2023. And I did a whole episode about this film, an entire full-length podcast, breaking down Skinamarink. There's tons of videos online where you can watch lots of fan theories, um, lots of video essays where they talk about how the horrors of the liminal space within Skinamarink... um, there's a lot of great stuff online that you can check up on about it. I can't really add too much to it, to this that I haven't already said or people haven't already added on the internet with little to no script or preparation. I'm sure if I were to do a big preparation, I could give you a video essay, but that that's not today. That's not happening today. It made the Fisher-Price phone scary. Um, I actually brought one home to kind of freak out my wife a little bit. Just kind of put it on a shelf and kind of waited a few months until she noticed it was over there. That was a great treat. Um, but yeah, I love Skinamarink. I love a lot of the films I saw in 2023. What was your favorite film of 2023? There's still some horror films coming out this year that I have yet to see, which may or may not rank in my top 10. Of course, in a couple weeks, we have the Five Nights at Freddy's movie. Or as I call it around the house, whenever I talk about it, I just go... Five Nights at Freddy's. That's where I want to be. Five Nights at Freddy's. Anyway, and as I said, my voice is a little hoarse, so that's not even pitch uh, perfect. Not pitch perfect. I like to do it like Jack Black. He has like this really weird, like, I don't even know how to call it, like this weird roll when he does like the little downward thing. Um, with the Freddy's. I can't do it right now. But either way. There's going to be a lot of films coming out this year that I'm excited to see. I will see you guys with another episode of this show coming soon, obviously. But I'm really looking forward to doing top 10 films of the year. And for that, I'll actually have like some sort of script or bullet points or some shit like that um, to talk about the films. Because it won't solely be focused on the horror films. So maybe we'll post that as like a separate kind of show to, you know. So it's not just horror films. It'll be more for a mainstream crowd. Um, But if you are part of the horror crowd and you haven't subscribed to Buddy's House of Horror podcast yet over on YouTube or on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you're getting the show, make sure you are going ahead and doing that. Make sure that you are sharing the show with all of the friends that you have in your life that would enjoy listening to this random 30-year-old man talking about horror films all of the time. 
and stumbling over his words a lot of the time as well. I appreciate all the support. Leave me a five-star rating if you guys are able to leave a rating on whatever you're listening to. If you're over on YouTube, leave me a comment. Let me know what your favorite film of the year was. Let me know what I should do in future episodes of the show. There are a few more episodes coming out this month that I've still yet to record. So there is some wiggle room. So if there's something you really want me to cover before the end of the month, you let me know. And with that, we're just going to wrap up this show right off into the sunset. I'm going to be making some Italian wedding soup. Um coming up in the next couple of minutes once I wrap this up I'm going to start making some homemade soup with some homemade meatballs and homemade pizza bread and it's going to be fucking crazy my Italian side is going to be coming out perhaps in the next episode or one of the next episode I will update you guys on the soup situation and let you know how I did it's going to be a fully vegetarian Italian wedding soup um, because my wife is vegetarian so I'm making impossible meatballs I'm making chickenless broth. It's going to be great. I'm excited for it. And with that, I'm just going to start get cooking. I'm going to get in that fucking kitchen right now. So we're going to wrap up this show. Go watch a horror film tonight. Have some fun out there. Go play in the leaves outside if you have leaves out in your yard. And with that, I want to thank you guys for listening to another episode of Buddy's House of Horror Podcast. I will see you again real soon. So take care and stay spooky.